Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We have news still breaking here as we go on air. Uh, We're getting more and more information uh, as it comes through on the wires and various channels and everyone who's covering it of a uh, horrific school shooting in Broward County in Florida. What we know so far is that there is one suspect. He is in custody. 14 victims, according to Fox News. CNN says at least two dead. And some sources have been saying for a while now that um, that there were multiple fatalities so we we might expect that there will be that that number of two dead will uh, grow in the hours ahead Uh, it's it's a tough a tough day a tough night for the whole country and thoughts and prayers go to the families of those uh, affected Um, I want to walk through with you what happened here we'll try to find as much as we can a sense of how this unfolded and also what could have been done, if anything, about it. I don't uh, take the approach that others do sometimes after terrorist incidents or after mass shootings like this and pretend that there is an answer, that there's a solution that's just waiting out there if only we had the political will. You can expect there will be a lot of grandstanding from some pretty shameless politicians on the left about this. They will make this about gun control. There will be slightly less partisan, but also uh, some rather acrimonious discussions about mental health and what could have been done there. Here's what we know uh, from this, uh, from what's been reported so far. And like I said, 14 victims, uh, two dead. There have been reports of as many as 50 Injured, but we don't know the extent of those injuries, and that is not a not a confirmed number. Uh, so this was in Parkland in in southern Florida, Broward County, north of Miami, and you have a situation where a student, a former student rather of the school, 19 years old, and he has been identified as Nicholas Cruz. Uh, he went on campus and uh, engaged in a, a mass shooting of students, some of whom he might have known quite well. We don't know. Um, But he definitely was a student at the school. He was known to some of the students. And now we're trying to ascertain what the series of events were that that occurred here. Uh, Now, I am going to play some audio for you that is from the moments of the actual shooting. I will tell you right now that it is is very disturbing stuff. Uh, When I heard it, I was I was honestly wrestling with whether or not we should even play it on the air. But I think if we're going to talk about this issue in detail and we are, 
then we have to, uh, pre- I, have, I feel obligated to present you with the fullest picture I can of what happened here because we're also going to be discussing what could be done, if anything, about it. And the more we, the more we know about how this heinous killer uh, went about his plot today, uh, the more likely it is, at least, that we can try to come up with some means of preventing the next one. Although, like I, was, like I said at the, at the beginning, very tough to stop this, um, very difficult to do. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to come up with new ways, and we are certainly going to remain vigilant and try. Uh, but this, this is a, a warning for audio that I'm, we're about to play it. It is from a student who is hiding under a desk at the uh, high school here in Parkland. Um, Mar- Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and this is so. If you, if I just want to give you a warning about it, it, it is disturbing. And here is the audio from the incident. Holy! Oh, holy. oh my God! Oh my God! So, a lot of a lot of gunfire, a lot of screaming. Students uh, trying to hide, students running for their lives. Um, it was uh, terrible and terrifying. Here is a, a student eyewitness to these events today. On the third floor, he ran to the staircase, but then everyone like kind of paused and we all started running back. I was being like pushed and pulled through the hallway and we ran to the classroom. And the minute I got into my classroom, I heard gunshots, like multiple rounds from I'm not sure what gun. Then we stayed in there for, I don't remember how long, a really long time, and the police came through the hallway to get us, and in the hallway saw a big pile of blood, like, kind of smeared, as if they were dragged away, and I saw two girls probably dead in the hallway, and then coming down the stairs, there was some more blood, and outside of the building, there was another guy, and I think it was a teacher who was pretty sure was dead outside. And what did you see, Leah? You said that you were inside, and, and I was gunshot inside. was not just one gunshot. It, it was, was multiple. multiple. How did my, it sound? It really loud because it was right outside my door, and like my teacher didn't let us out even when the the uh, fire alarm did go off, which was lucky because then we could have really gotten hurt, one of our classmates. But I saw basically the same thing as her, and there was just a lot of blood everywhere, and there was bodies kind of just everywhere. It was gross. And <laughs> you saw a lot of blood. Yeah, there was like. I think there was four of them. So and your thoughts when you were getting out of there? Well, I remember my friend crying behind me, and I kept trying to tell her it's going to be okay, we're going to get out. And luckily we did get out, but it was kind of scary, and I didn't want to look at anything. So, yeah, that was my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And your parents are here now? Right? Yes. Okay, I'm just sure you're going to give them a big thumbs Yeah. Now, it is believed that Nicholas Cruz, the alleged shooter, uh, the alleged mass murderer here, pulled the fire alarm himself. So he had been previously uh, banned from the campus, from this high school. And he came back, pulled the fire alarm, and then as students began to exit, and and there was, and now this is where we have to coordinate with the reporting from earlier in the day, but there were reports that they had already had one fire drill or one drill of some kind. I don't know, that might have been misreported because they may have thought that this drill that this this drill that where he pulled that will will uh, disentangle this uh, throughout the show. We'll make sure we're up to date on it. 
but it is believed that Nicholas Cruz pulled the fire alarm and that when students were filing out or, or leaving their locations is when he started shooting, which is a means of getting them all out of the classrooms and perhaps making it easier to create a mass casualty event. Some students did shelter in place once the gunfire started. You heard that audio of the scene as it was unfolding. Um, we know that this student had a background, that Cruz had a background of uh, mental illness, that he was a problem. He was on the radar of, uh, of the school authorities as well as, I believe, local police. There was discussion also of his involvement in a forum where there was talk of how to build a bomb. And that was one of the reasons why the police were, although I think this was also, this is also likely protocol on any mass shooting event, but as they were going room to room, there were concerns as they were trying to clear out the building, uh, there were concerns that there could have been a bomb in place. We have nothing on motive yet. We have nothing other than just the obvious, right? Psychopathic killer shooting a bunch of students that he likely knew, or at least a school that he certainly knew. Uh, we don't have anything specific on the motive yet. We will learn a lot more uh, because of social media, because of uh, you know, online footprint that is left by, by everybody now these days. Uh, we'll have a sense as to what this shooter's mentality was. Perhaps he may have even left a manifesto. All of that remains to be seen. Uh, right now, we uh, first and foremost turn our thoughts to those affected by this. Uh, we try to grieve together as a nation. Um, this should not be turned immediately into a political event, but of course, that's already happening, already calls for gun control. Um, and there's a discussion to be had here about what, if any, security failures occurred, uh, what, if any, procedural responses need to be changed, what, what could be done. And I come from the perspective of there's not always something that could be done. Sometimes the bad guys just, sometimes they get through. Sometimes evil wins the day, and this is uh, one of those cases. Uh, so we will look at this together. If you have any thoughts, by the way, if you have anything you'd like to share with the rest of the team, I would very much like to hear from any of you out there, any of you with law enforcement background that want to weigh in. We're going to talk about the, the school, what we know about security that was in place there, and, uh, and then get into some of the discussion right now about, so what now? That's what, that's what we turn to, what now? 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We uh, have a whole lot more, and uh, I'm thankful that you're with me. We'll be back. We've had uh, approximately 14 people transported to area hospitals with varying degrees of injuries. There are multiple casualties, though. There, there are uh, folks that have lost their lives. I don't know the number right now. It's a fluid scene right now. We have multiple SWAT teams clearing all the buildings. If anybody knows anything about Stoneman Douglas High School, it's one of the biggest schools in Broward County. It's huge. It's a huge campus. So we have multiple, uh, multiple SWAT teams clearing every building to make sure that there are no other shooters. Um, we have uh, a shooter in custody. So there you have law enforcement telling us some of the background of what happened today. Uh, we are awaiting a law enforcement news conference. We will take some of that live for you here on the show once it starts to get the uh, the updates on uh, what 
happened here, but some some key data that is added into the discussion from that law enforcement officer. First, the size of the school. This uh, this particular high school um, where the mass shooting occurred today, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, has almost 3,000 students, and it has multiple buildings. So it is a very large campus. It is more the size of a college than a standard high school. It is, in fact, larger than the college, uh, almost double the size of the college that I went to. So it's a big campus. Now, that matters because we do know that Broward County, which is the sixth largest school district in the country, has armed uh, security officers who are on site at high schools. So there was someone who was armed, we believe, this is based on what's been reported so far, there was uh, someone who was there on, this, on the, the scene, but the scene is very large, right? I mean, it's, it's a, a place that, you know, if you were in the wrong building, you probably had no idea initially that the shooting was going on, or maybe you heard the fire alarm that was pulled and nothing else. Um, but there was armed security. So what will come into play here, I think, is where was armed security when the shooting started? Um, was that person, he or she, able to respond effectively? Um, what was? I'll be very interested to know what the immediate procedure was there. It could have been multiple armed personnel on campus, by the way. I don't know. Um, and when once we start talking about prevention of these incidents, I mean, I, I'm always an advocate for, sure, it's good to have uniformed officer. It creates a sense of security for the students it's good for also students to know you know there's somebody walking around in authority with 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 a weapon um i'm i'm a believer in in concealed carry uh in these circumstances that you know you want to have somebody who's armed and and visible on campus and remember it's campus of this size we're about three thousand three thousand young adults here right and and then you add faculty into it i mean this is a substantial uh substantial physical facility uh, so that's why having armed security, I mean, it it's, makes makes absolute sense. Uh, so then you'll get into, OK, well, how much armed security was there? But I'm I'm a proponent. If we're going to talk about prevention, if we're going to talk about having a shot at stopping these kinds of things um, or or at least catching some of them in progress and lessening the casualty count. Uh, I think concealed carry is a very, uh, very important part of the discussion. You know, you, you don't want the bad guys to know, or in this case, the bad guy, to know who has or may have a weapon. Now, this student had familiarity with the school. He may have known exactly where, and I'm I'm surmising here, I, I don't know this, but he may have known where that, uh, that security officer, that armed personnel on campus would have been at this time of day, or he might have gone for the building that is furthest away from that area of um, where we could have expected a response. It also seems that the student, uh, sorry, the former student, Cruz, the shooter, may have engaged in the shooting and then thrown down his weapon, thrown up his hands, and because he was found an, um, about a mile away, is that correct? I believe it was a mile away from the school grounds, roughly. He was not found on school grounds. He was caught, yeah, he was caught in the police perimeter that they had set up that at one point I think included a Walmart and and multiple facilities well beyond the school perimeter. So they created a lockdown zone, and I have to say, if law enforcement had not done that, 
seems to me there's a real possibility this this shooter may have been able to walk. You know, if they had just gone immediately to the perimeter of the school. So what we actually have here. Can we go to the uh, everyone from public um, safety from the bottom of my heart for your efforts out here today? Um, the FBI and uh, the Broward Sheriff's Office will be doing the crime scene investigation and the uh, follow up to this horrific, horrific incident. As I said before, this incident truly makes me sick to my stomach. Um, it's it's um, Broward it's, County. It's hard. Sheriff. It's catastrophic. And the, um, there was sad to say that uh, 17 people lost their lives. Uh, 12 people within the building, um, two people just outside the building, one person out on Pine Island Road, and two people lost their lives uh, in the hospital. There are people that are still undergoing surgery and um, just pray for this city, pray for this school, the parents, the, 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 the folks that lost their lives. It's a horrific, horrific day. Um, as I said before, my, my triplets attend graduated from Stoneman Douglas High School and uh, it's just horrible, absolutely horrible, and uh, we will uh, we, we continually ask you in the media to continually put out the message. If you see something, say something. If anybody has any indicator that someone's going through a behavioral change or on their social media that there are disturbing photos, perhaps bombs or firearms or uh, just, you know, videos or pictures that are, are, are just not right, that there's something, please make sure law enforcement knows about it. Uh, we're already, you can follow us on Twitter. We're going to put out numbers where people can uh, can possibly call and what have you. Sheriff Phil Keating, Fox News. Uh, are all of the victims, uh, all of the wounded and fatalities students, or is it a mixture of students and teachers? And can you give anything on motive at this point? We don't know. Excuse me, if you're going to report, can you move back? Because I keep hearing you. Can you go back here and do that? Though? It's, it's very distracting. Could you get back to whether they're students, teachers, a mixture of both? A mixture. I don't know if there are any teachers, but uh, there will be, uh, you know, there's certainly students and uh, certainly adults. I believe there will be one. So our investigators, have, uh, that's a great question. Our investigators have certainly uh, began uh, dissecting social media and looking at the website and the uh, uh, Nicholas, I think we spell his name, N-I-K-O-L-A-S, Cruz, was the killer. Uh, he is in custody. And we've already began to uh, began to dissect his websites and the things that social media that he was on, and some of the things that have come to mind are very, very disturbing. Does he have How wounds, like, injuries? What can you tell us about him? We understand he may be a former student. He's 19 years old. Uh, he was born in 1998 in September. He was a former student of Douglas High School. Uh, he got expelled for disciplinary reasons. I don't know the specifics. I think he might have surfaced at Taravella High School. We're still trying to confirm that. Uh, and this morning when he woke up, whether he was a student or not, I don't know. Didier, can you speak to the number of weapons either had and whether or not we heard that an fire alarm was pulled and off? We have to go into a break here. We come back. We'll continue with the sheriff of Broward County updating us. But you heard that chilling figure. 17 dead in this Florida school shooting. More than were killed in Columbine. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
he's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Well, unfortunately, we're seeing it with much more frequency. The number of school shooting incidents just since the first of the year is astonishing. And uh, so uh, the new normal in some respects, oh, God. it's going to uh, require a lot of uh, uh, new training in terms of how to deal with this. New training. That's Police Commissioner Bratton, uh, well known to us here in New York City. New training how? Um, I, I don't know what training is going to do here, really. There's already a lot of active shooter training that goes on with law enforcement. These schools have drills for evacuation, shelter in place. This former student, 19 years old, was expelled. We've gotten more confirmation. Nicholas Cruz, the shooter, avoid just saying alleged all the time. That's a, a legal you know, thing. But the, the shooter here, the mass murderer, uh, killed 17 people. Likely that number will rise because over 14 were taken to uh, hospitals and they were shooting outside and shooting inside of the school building or school buildings and adults as well as or teachers, faculty, staff, as well as students were killed uh, by the shooter. Looks like he pulled the fire alarm to get them to uh, leave the High school classrooms, uh, not shelter in place, try to get people out into the hallways where he would just turn it into a shooting gallery. Uh, Many of you are familiar with your own high school layout. I'm sure it's the same here. Usually you've got straight, long hallways, not a lot of uh, not a lot of cover. And depending, we don't we don't know. I don't believe we've found out what the firearm was that he used here. We don't know if it was a long gun or a handgun. Um, some of you may be able to tell from the uh, the gunfire in the audio, but um, I don't have that I don't have that capability right now, so or I, I can't tell you that. Um, so we don't know. Uh, other shootings, just by way of comparison, Columbine massacre, uh, which really was the first, in, in many ways, I think the uh, first very well known of these school shootings that got a whole national conversation started on gun control, gun violence, the so-called trench coat mafia, these uh, ne'er-do-well, evil, you know, hateful students that just wanted to kill as many people as possible. I think 13 were killed in Columbine, so 17 were killed in this shooting. More, more people were killed by this one individual today than by the uh, individuals, the shooters in the uh, trench coat mafia, the so-called trench coat mafia at the Columbine massacre back in 1999. Uh, the Virginia Tech shooter at the Virginia Tech campus killed 33, I believe. So uh, this is um, a terrible day for Florida. I I, I uh, wish, well, we wish first and foremost this would just never happen. It does seem, words come to mind like senseless and uh, hateful and evil, and those are all accurate, uh, but they're not in, in any way, they, they don't fulfill our need to feel like we get answers here or we have any sense of how to how to stop the next one. It's our, this is already being politicized. I'll tell you what some of those arguments are. And look, it's a public policy matter, so we will have to deal with that, too. But for now, it just feels like it's it's very raw. And I can't imagine what the families uh, of the 17 killed or are going through right now. And. There's just there's not, you know, words. Words fail me on this one, folks. This is uh, this is a tough day. 
I appreciate that many of you are calling in, and, and I encourage you to do so and just share, just share your thoughts. I mean, there's, let's all just get on the same page here. There's, there's no, there's no answer. There's no, there's no way to bring these people back. There won't be any real justice here. Sure, this shooter might get multiple life sentences. Maybe he even qualify for the death penalty, but that won't bring any of the dead back today. That's not going to save anyone. So. Um, there's a, a hollowness to these conversations. It mimics very much what it feels like after a mass casualty terrorist incident. Although I do think that in those cases, there's more of a, of a, of a policy discussion to be had. There's more action that can be taken with this. Someone who just was, uh, had chosen the path of evil. You know, I mean, there's uh, social media postings now that are out there that purportedly show Nicholas Cruz, the shooter, he's got a lot of got a lot of knives in his hands. He's got a lot of uh, he's got fi- photos, I believe, with firearms too. Although I haven't seen those, but uh, I think in one he's kind of taking a a Wolverine like posture with some folding knives in his hands. I mean, that's he's clearly a uh, you know is a messed up guy, and he got expelled from his school and made threats against students. But was it enough to lock him up? I'm guessing probably not. I'm guessing if you look at his record, you'd say there's no actual criminal activity before this where you could get any kind of meaningful sentence against him. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he bought his firearms illegally. We, we don't we don't know the full extent yet of the preparations um, and whether he could have been could have gotten him. But, you know, I I, I feel, uh, you know, I was on the I was on Fox before talking about this. and I'll be on Fox again after I finish the radio show tonight. And I know I'm going to get the question. Um, you know, and this is where I try to look at it from the perspective of the intelligence division of the NYPD, which, yes, worked on mostly terrorism, but just also any any strategic threat to the city of New York, uh, to its inhabitants and to its environs is something that would fall under our purview. And we were in terms of prevention, you know, using the tools at our disposal to stop things before they happened as as much of the. You know, as much on the forefront as we as we could be. And it's just very hard when you live in a society where uh, rule of law means you can't just lock somebody up because you think they're you think they're nuts. You think they're crazy. Um, that's not enough. Usually very hard to get somebody committed to a psychiatric facility if they ha- especially if they haven't committed any crimes. Very difficult to do. And in this and, and, and then you also get into uh you want to talk about maligning a group that, you know, is overwhelmingly nonviolent and not, I mean, people with mental health issues, like a, depending on how you how you look at it, something like a, a quarter or a third of the country have a clinical medical uh, clinical medically diagnosable mental health issue of one kind or another. Right. I mean, this you know, mental health is like is like physical health. It spans a, a huge gamut. And so to, to talk about it as though mental health issues, it's it's insufficient. Not only are our solutions or proposed solutions to this problem insufficient, our language for discussing it isn't enough. And it just creates a frustration. A lot of the things we talk about here on the show, I feel like, you know, if if we took if the government took the or in some cases, if we as individuals, as citizens took the appropriate steps, we could make a real difference and, and make things better. I, I don't know what. That is here. And I wish I did. And it'll be disheartening to see so many, especially people with large platforms and followings and politicians and people who have a responsibility 
the public discourse to be better than this. It'll be disheartening, though. They're going to say that, oh, you know, anybody who doesn't immediately want some kind of a gun ban or you know, that they're a, a, uh, a coward and they, they're bought off by the NRA. I mean, the, the level of, uh, of vitriol and nastiness that is displayed after all these events against people who have, have nothing to do with the event. They're just not in favor of policies that wouldn't that would not have prevented it and would infringe upon rights and freedoms. You know, that's that's unfortunately become a part of the rhythm of all this. So um, I appreciate that all of you. We got we got every line lit and I, I want to hear from you. So thank you very much for that. And, and as we take calls, uh, just know that we'll be opening up spots for you to call in 844-900-2825. Uh, let's let's take some of your thoughts on this. Herb in New Jersey. Herb, thank you very much for calling in. Good. Uh, good evening, uh, Buck. Um, you know, it, it's uh, tough circumstances, my friend. I know. Yeah, but. Um, you know, let's um, let's take uh, a concept from uh, your uh, motto, "Shields High." Um, uh, you know, the the shield doesn't work unless it's held properly, and uh, I'm all for this concept that, um, uh, based on in loco parentis, the same way you would want to protect your family, your children at home. Um, you would you would expect that they would have the same protection when they're at school. So why not take a select group of volunteers, administrators, uh, support staff, and teachers, uh, screen them, train them in the proper and effective use of firearms and other defensive techniques, and turn them into a school-based active shooter response team, just like you do a QRT in the police? Well, you know, Herb, I want one of the uh, one of the. Uh facts that comes to mind right away about this particular shooting that's different from some other instances is that there there are as far as i understand it i'm sure we'll get more information there are armed personnel on the campus so are there enough you can have two or three but on a campus that big and that far reaching uh are they really enough well that's exa- that was exactly the point that's why i said I, I don't know the full square footage but i mean we've been doing more research here to figure out what we're dealing with and when you're talking about multiple buildings and 3000 students i mean you know, I, I, that's that's a huge that's that's a co- that's like a college campus. That's a college sized campus. And so a shooting and w- assuming that this occurred mostly in one building and then outside uh, and on the street, uh, if you weren't in that building and nearby at the time of the shooting, now you're just talking about um, I, I think you'd have to agree her mitigating casualties. You're certainly not able to stop all casualties. Well, of course, that's that's always going to be the case. Look, the shooter is always going to get the first shot off. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, the question then becomes just how far do you allow it to continue? And if there's no shields to stop it, then it's going to continue unmercilessly until shields do arrive. Uh, look, I, meantime, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that I think the shields that are hidden, if we're going to continue with the, the uh, metaphor here, are oftentimes even more effective because. That just puts the shooter in a very different, you know, the the bad guy here in a very different mindset to not know, you know, it, it's it's one thing if the guy wearing the uniform and walking around with a with a, a Glock on his hip, you know, to if you you know if that guy's not around, well then you know you're probably in the clear because I'm I'm assuming the school is a gun free zone, right? But if uh, you know Mister Mister Smith across the hallway who teaches geometry actually has got a 
you know, a, a, a 380 auto on them or something. I mean, you've actually, you got something you can work with. Absolutely. And if it's made very clear that this school is protected by an active shooter response team, I think there would be a lot fewer attempts made because shooters are by definition cowards. Yeah. Uh, look, that, that may, you know, I, I want to talk solutions as much as possible. And that's the, the only thing that I can think of that would, that would help in these situations, Herb, uh, that that's a, that's an actual policy that could be implemented, right? A, a, an entire gun ban is, and thank you for calling in Herb from New Jersey. Um, and, and you know, an, an all out ban is just not, it's just not feasible. It's not going to happen. Um, and even if the government try, first of all, the government tried to make it happen. Uh, the consequ- the ramifications of that alone would be frightening, as I think everyone knows. Um, and short of an all-out ban, you know, stop it. We don't even know what this guy used yet, and there's people already who are out there. And we're going to, you know, the, the politics of this is what we'll talk about more in the second hour of the show. I just wanted to get on the, the details. And as I mentioned before, 17 dead in this Florida school shooting and dozens, uh, it appears dozens wounded. We don't know the full number just yet. Um, at least 14 taken to hospitals in the area. Two died at the hospital. So we, we could lose more. Right? We don't know. The shooter is in custody. The shooter has been identified as Nicholas Cruz, 19 years old, expelled from the uh, Douglas High School here uh, down in, um, in Florida in, in Broward County. And, you know, has a social media profile of somebody who, who is disturbed. That's, that's clear. He's disturbed. They knew this guy was bad news. What do you do? 844-900-2825. We're going to continue our discussion of this, folks. Thank you for being here with me. I'll be right back. We're still covering breaking events here in the aftermath of a uh, shooting at a school, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Broward County in Florida. 17 killed, more wounded. Um, the uh, sheriff is now, I'm now seeing, oh gosh, I'm now seeing this alert right now. Do you see this? Uh, suspect had an AR-15 and multiple magazines. <clears throat> so we have a process in place that gets initiated. So there's calm, collected care that our patients receive. Can you tell us anything about the fatalities, uh, at least their ages? Do, they, do you believe they're students, uh, possibly people that were working at the school? We prefer not to comment on our patients and respect for our patients. Can you talk about just personally, I mean, seeing this sort of thing, knowing that they, I mean, just as human beings outside of being doctors, you know, treating these people who have come in here after experiencing one of, if not the worst event of their lives, and, you know, having the responsibility of treating these people and, and, you know, ensuring the best outcome that they can have. I mean, how does that affect you all um, just as human beings? Well, we, we do this every day. So what we saw today, we have penetrating trauma, non-penetrating trauma, the level two trauma center, and that's what we do every day. So fortunately for everybody, we were located very close to the high school where this uh, shooting happened. So fortunately for everybody, they brought these patients to our hospital and we were able to do a great job to, to do the right thing. 
how do you, um, the suspect was brought here, I know you can't say much about... These are some of the trauma surgeons that were dealing with the wound. His medical condition or whatever. But for, for a lot of people at home, you know, they might be surprised that the suspect was being brought here. How do you guys kick in the Hippocratic Oath and, and do your job at knowing what this guy potentially is accused of doing? Every patient that comes in gets treated as a patient, and we take care of them medically, and that's what we do. Was there any particular reason why he was brought to this facility versus one of your other facilities in the hospital system? Because of the location. They have to go to the nearest trauma facility, and we were the nearest trauma facility. Is this the biggest mass casualty you can remember? For our mm -hmm. hospital, yes. Are you expecting more victims? We cannot comment on that. Are any can you tell us if it was a large caliber, small caliber? I mean, no, can you elaborate on it? Do you know the update on conditions for what the other hospitals, the patients at the other hospitals? Not right now. Of the six patients that are still here, will any of them still No. Are any of them still in surgery? Did, did surgeries go on after the incident? We still have three patients in the operating rooms right now. Did they're, all of them undergo? stable condition. Did all of them undergo some kind of surgery? No. Can you describe what those who are, I guess, were not as serious injuries, what their demeanor was like? Can you, I mean, I know it's obvious, so you can describe it for us. Well, I mean, I prefer not to comment on a specific patient's uh, demeanor, <clears throat> but, you know, as a human being, you could imagine um, that they would uh, <clears throat> Uh, be, be in shock or, you know, be emotional about the, the, the whole situation. Can you describe you I think that's it, guys. We have to go. Pardon me? Yeah, I think they've asked these doctors all the... I mean, we work closely with our... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the press now keeps asking questions that they're not able to... Yeah. The doctors are not able to, nor should they answer. Can you walk through what's next for these patients, specifically the three in critical, three in stable, and their families in terms of services? I understand chaplains are now here. They're going to have successful surgeries. They're going to recover. They're going to go home. Thank you. Thanks very much. Have All right. You. So we had uh, a, a press conference there with some of the uh, trauma experts at a nearby hospital. And he, as you heard one of the doctors say, lucky that it was so close to the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, High School because you know seconds count in, in trauma situations like this. Uh, we're going to get into um so we're going to continue to cover this uh, coming up for the next hour so we're going to get into more of this he's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth the buck never stops there was saddened to say that uh, 17 people lost their lives uh, 12 people within the building, um, two people just outside the building, one person out on Pine Island Road, and two people lost their lives uh, in the hospital. There are people that are still undergoing surgery, and um, just pray for this city, pray for this school, the parents, the, 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 the folks that lost their lives. It's a horrific, horrific day. That's the sheriff down in Broward County giving us a sense of just what uh, what happened today, what what this mass shooting, what the, the death count is so far. It is a, um, a, a tough day for the country, a really uh, 
bad day for the state of Florida and a, a tragic and life-altering one for the families of those uh, families of those killed and, and the families of the wounded as well. Um, just to give you a sense of where this stands in terms of U.S. school shootings, in 1999, the Columbine shooting, 13 were killed. I believe that includes the two, uh, the two shooters in that number, although I'm not sure. Uh, today in Florida, in Parkland, you have 17 dead so far. And you had 18 killed back in 1966 at the University of Texas. 27 were killed at the uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School uh, massacre in 2012. And in 2007 in Virginia Tech, you had uh, 30, 32 killed. Columbine was 13. Thank you. Producer Mike just made sure that my, my stats were correct. Columbine was 13, not including the shooters. 32. Uh, two students, one teacher. Wait, twelve students, one teacher is what we have in Col- in Columbine. Yeah. So, the deadliest ever was Virginia Tech in two thousand and seven. So far, um, this is uh, this is a tough day for the country, and uh, unfortunately, it's already very much being politicized. Which this follows an all too familiar script. We understand what happens now. You will have some sense of uh, universal sympathy and outpouring of support from the American people for those in the, in the Broward, uh, Broward County community and, and then for the folks who were directly affected by this. But then this will turn into a political fight, and it, and it, just, and it gets into a really nasty one too because on the one side of it you tend to have individuals who seem to believe that those on the other side don't really want to address the problem or don't want to make this go away. There is no such thing as a, as a uh, constituency that exists in this country that does not want to end school shootings. And we are all on the same page when it comes to that. It's just a question of what's feasible to do in response and also what the costs would be and, whether it would be effective. So can we do it? Should we do it? What's the cost of doing it? Those are the questions when you want to look at trying to address something like this, which is very, very difficult to do. You had Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, uh, who was pushing for gun control immediately after, I mean, within within hours. I mean, it was right away. I don't know, it might have even been sooner than that. Within minutes, excuse me, within minutes of the shooting, Senator from Connecticut's pushing gun control. Turn on your television right now. You're going to see scenes of children running for their lives. This happens nowhere else other than the United States of America. This epidemic of mass slaughter. We are responsible for a level of mass atrocity that happens in this country with zero parallel anywhere else. Uh, it's wrong that this doesn't happen anywhere else. It actually has happened, in, in, including in uh, very developed and otherwise safe uh, European countries. There have been mass school shootings. There was a very well-known school shooting in Scotland. This is just off the top of my head. I'm not, I haven't even pulled the research on this yet. We had, there was one in Scotland. 
Uh, there was one in Germany. I think even in a, it was I think it was a preschool. Um, there was the Anders Breivik shooting in Norway. That was at a camp, but just mass slaughter of of uh, young people at a, at a camp. Um, so this does happen elsewhere. Now that I just don't know why. If we're going to have a discussion about it and you're a United States senator, you're supposed to know what you're talking about. I don't know why they have to make stuff up. I don't know why it's okay to fabricate things as part of this discussion. But they'll say it is. Uh, They they will get past the facts right away. They're in a a post-fact debate pattern here. That they're emotionalizing the moment, using this as a means of trying to advance an agenda of of gun control. Look, if if I really believe that any of the measures that are talked about after these school shootings would would reliably and realistically stop school shootings, I would be very open-minded to it, if not outright in favor of it. I just know it won't. And the facts, the statistics, and logic all back up my position. And on the other side of it, this has become... Unfortunately, a debate that really doesn't have all that much to do with guns. And this is why you see the nastiness that the progressive left in this country, the Democrat Party, opposes guns as, on the one side, a massive exercise in virtue signaling. They're the good people who don't, who don't want any more violence to continue. And also their opposition to guns and the Second Amendment as a general proposition, is really opposition to the kinds of people who are legal, lawful, law-abiding gun owners. Uh, they have a disdain for those in this country who are believers and supporters of and those who actually practice their right to bear arms, right? engage in their right to bear arms. Uh, so it's opposition to guns in the political context is really opposition to gun owners. And that's why you have idiot celebrities who will tweet things after an incident like this. And I saw this one today. You know, the NRA is a terrorist organization. The NRA has nothing to do with this. And it's reckless and irresponsible to say that they, to to even bring it up in the context of a shooting like this. Um, There are some other gun control options that I'm sure they'll be putting out there. Oh, they'll talk about background checks. I know background checks will certainly come up as well. We ought to say enough is enough. Uh, The question is, once you get into the investigation, how did the shooter obtain the weapon? Was it a high caliber weapon? Was it obtained lawfully? And if so, that ought to have people to start thinking about such things as background checks on the purchase of a gun and uh, the question of an assault rifle, if in fact this is, I don't know those details. So there's a Senator Nelson of Florida, and he is saying things like, is it a high caliber weapon? I, I don't even know what he what he thinks he's saying there, really, I guess. I mean, is, maybe he's referring to whether it was a rifle versus a pistol, but... As you all know, because this is an audience that is very familiar with firearms and 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 weaponry, I mean, a thirty-eight will kill you the same way that a you know a two-two-three will kill you the same way that a seven-six-two will kill you the same. I mean, this is 
this is not really a, a relevant means of trying to address the problem, but they'll bring it up. They'll talk about it nonetheless. The notion of a background check. Okay, so this 19-year-old who was expelled from school, I, I don't know if he bought his gun legally or not. I don't know if he stole his gun, so we can't really address that question here. But we already do have background checks in this country. There's a national instant background check system, NICS, it's called. Uh, the, the NICS system is in place. People will say it's not perfect, but it works most of the time, and we have background checks. So would they want to do more background checks? It doesn't appear to me to be the case that that would do anything. It's worth noting that in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, that shooter uh, stole his gun from a family member. So the background check there didn't really have any particular meaning because it wasn't the gun wasn't bought, purchased, or owned by the person who might have failed the background check. So uh, that's there. I mean, this I'm waiting for them to to come up with something that is applicable here that actually might have done something. Um, you had uh, Jake Tapper at CNN offering this up. You know, I'm old enough to remember when uh, images of 12 and 14 year olds walking out of schools with their arms in the air because there's an active shooter situation didn't happen and show up on my TV every week or two. What do you say to the parents out there who are frustrated and who say, Senator Nelson, we thank you for your thoughts and prayers, but we actually need more than thoughts and prayers. This is a crisis in this country. A crisis to be dealt with how? A crisis that we can respond to in what way? Um, That's what needs to be answered here. We all understand it's a crisis. We all understand it's terrible. It's tragic. Uh, I will be updating you with the latest here right after this break. Uh, We we know now that the, the sheriff has... Uh, has confirmed that it was uh, the, the shooter had an AR-15 and multiple magazines, and that's what was used in the shooting. So we know that. Um, let's now we'll, we'll look at what else we can put together here. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I welcome your thoughts. Better way to put it on what happened today. Uh, I I don't have the answer. I don't know anybody who does, but it's certainly something we have to talk about and think about and reflect on. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we will be back right after this break. We had uh, countless magazines, uh, multiple magazines, and at this point we believe he had one AR-15 rifle. I don't know if he had a second weapon right now. So you have the sheriff saying he had a lot of magazines, AR-15, AR-15 rifle on him. Uh, you can... You can bet that this will soon become a discussion about a national assault rifle ban. Um, That's going to I think that's going to be where the the press takes this. I'm seeing on CNN lots of uh, pictures of the AR-15. As you know, the AR-15 is a very popular rifle. Millions of them are owned across the country. Um, And now they're listing all the places where it was used. Parkland today, uh, the Southern Springs, Texas shooting, the Las Vegas shooting, the Pulse nightclub shooting, San Bernardino, Sandy Hook and Aurora, Colorado all use the. AR-15. They are building a case right now in real time for an assault weapons ban. I know a lot of you would probably call in or email me and tell me an assault weapon is a made-up term. I know, but legally they have actually instituted assault weapons bans in certain states as well as at the federal level previously, and they describe it as, and they go through the characteristics, as you know, of what it is. Some of them are cosmetic. 
but it is now a, a leg- legally describable category, even if it's not really a firearm category. Um, but that's where we are. Shane in Bel Air, Ohio. Shane is a school teacher. Hey, Shane. Hey, how's it going, Buck? Yeah, it's all right, man. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I just wanted to weigh in on. Uh, I know one of the issues that we deal with in Bel Air, Ohio, is the fact of funding for resource officers that are able to uh, be in the buildings and the response time of our local police to be able to get to the schools. You know, one of the things, I don't know that you're ever going to completely stop the nut jobs out there that are coming across and, you know, trying to take out soft targets. But the best thing we can do is try to eliminate the response or, you know, minimize the response time. And I know that several of the districts in southeastern Ohio have actually started arming their teachers and even posting out in the front about their teachers are armed. Don't come into our school. What do you, as a, as, a, as a teacher yourself, what do you think about that? Do you think teachers should be armed? Well, it's, I, I think that there are a hand, I don't think that every teacher is, you know, capable of handling a, a firearm, but I think that there's a select few individuals, you know, that are out there that are willing to take on that task to protect the students. I mean, that, that's my job as a teacher, to try to protect my students as best I can. Locking ourselves in a room isn't exactly cutting it. You know, we're just we're sitting ducks there, you know, to be able to take a a stance, to be able to defend our students and uh, eliminate the or, again, minimize the response time. Yeah, no, I I agree. I want to ask you, though, about because you would I I would assume this is something you'd be somewhat familiar with. If you have a student who is I'm just wondering what the procedures are. I'm sure they vary state to state. But if you have a student that you think is really disturbed, you know, I mean, you have a student that you think is you know, torturing animals on the weekends and do it, you know, and, and posting videos that are, are really making you think he's violent, has violent intent, but hasn't broken the law. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, torturing animals would be breaking the law, but you know what I mean? I mean, you've got somebody who's you think is sick in the head and, and is a, and is a danger, but hasn't yet actually broken the law as, as a teacher. What are your obligations and what are your resources? What could you actually do? Well, in our school district, we have uh, several different things in place to be able to uh, attend to that situation. Uh, One, we have uh, student services uh, that if if we start to recognize those things, uh, I'm a mandated reporter in the state of Ohio, so anything that I notice in in that type of situation, I have to report to my superiors and also to, you know, if it's in a result of a child protective situation, I have to call the CPS and notify them. In the case that you're describing, you know, obviously I would bring my concerns to student services and see if the counselor down there would be able to work through that. And obviously we would be discussing that in our uh, building leadership teams, talking about, you know, we need to keep an eye on this kid. He's been acting this way and, you know, identify those kids so that, you know, we can keep an eye on those types of things. So, so there's there's reporting procedures in place, but you know what what do they do with a let's say a high school aged kid that everyone thinks is is a risk, but can't be incarcerated because he hasn't broken the law. I'm just one. I mean, it it sounds to me like you report they can know, but not much that they. I mean, they can kick him out of the school. They kicked this guy today who was the shooter out of the school, but then where does he go? Yeah, and. 
that's a very good situation. The exact thing actually has made national news in our our little town of Belair. Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Nathan Brooks back in 96, I believe, you know, all the teachers saw warning signs. They reported it. The kid was just off his rocker, and he ended up going home and decapitating one of his parents and stabbing the other one multiple times, and he's got a lifelong sentence. You know, what do you do? You know, teachers knew that it was going to happen, you know, and he was he was going to take out several more students but ended up turning himself in. What do you do as, in, in that situation? You know, our hands are kind of tied. But Shane, can I just and, ask you as a teacher, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever been around this yourself, but you, you feel like you know? You know when a, you know when a kid's a threat. I mean, you have a pretty good sense of it. Yeah, there's there's definitely you know just things you know if you pay attention to your you know your surroundings and the people around you you know just even when you go to a restaurant you just kind of know where to sit and who's acting funny. As a teacher, you know that's second nature. You you pick up on those types of things, and and that's your uh, burying your head in the sand. You'd have to be an idiot not to. Yeah, I mean, but, I figured that I figured you have a good sense of who's you know who may be a problem and who's not. Um, and look, I'm sure most of the kids you deal with are really nice kids. But you know, I'm, I obviously oh, there's we have great there are, kids. There are yeah, there there are, there are rare exceptions here and there. And you know, I'm sure you're attuned to that. Uh, Shane, thank you for calling in and sharing a uh, an educator's point of view on this. I really appreciate it. Shields high. Uh, all right, we got more uh, calls in on this one, and we'll be taking them. So uh, they're going to go for the. Uh, they're going to go for ARs, I think. That's that's what's going to happen next. They're going to say there needs to be a ban on sale of new AR-15s. Maybe they're going to push for, although Florida is pretty pretty strong on gun rights. They, they may try something there, but I don't think they'll get very far on a magazine limitation or something. But this is going to be the, the same exact playbook, the same storyline, the same political fight that we saw after Newtown and, and some of these other incidents. Uh, and we'll see. Um, I, I think that uh, this will be the first time also that Trump has really had to weigh in uh, while he's the president, while he's the president of the United States, weigh in on whether or not there's going to be anything that comes from a legislative side here. Um, and uh, by the way, in the third hour, we're going to switch up topics because it's only so long I think I can handle this before. It's just too much. We'll be back. shows just talk at you in the freedom hut we have a mission we fight for the truth in a team effort and buck is back with our next play thanks for staying with me everyone we are bringing you breaking news here on this school shooting in florida and we have 17 dead thus far as expected the number will likely uh, climb higher than that given that there were over 14 people taken to the hospital somewhere uh, dead on arrival at the scene when police arrived at the scene. Uh, so we are waiting to see if that casualty count goes higher. We know one shooter identified as a Nicholas Cruz, 19 years old, former student, and looks like he started shooting outside the building, came into the building, pulled the fire alarm, and then turned to 
are in the hallway of one of these buildings at the uh, Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, into a kill zone. And there were armed security personnel at the school, though not clear how many or how close they were to the initial incident. And they then created a perimeter, and the shooter was captured off school ground, so he almost got away. And so we'll be looking more at the response with this. But I, I wanted to note uh, that there are already stories that are coming out from uh, eyewitnesses, people who were there during this horrific event. I, there are stories of, of heroism as well. I mean, it certainly is reassuring to have all of our law enforcement personnel on the scene and doing everything they can to tend to the people there and also first responders. And you even heard from some of the surgeons um, who were trying to save lives of, of the wounded. But there were some there were some heroics as well during this incident, including, uh, it's believed, by a teacher. Here's a first-person account of how one teacher responded during the shooting. We all got upstairs and into our classrooms. And when he tried to unlock the door, me and a couple other people ran in. And as he was closing the door, he was actually shot and killed right there. And the door was left open the whole time. So as he walked by, the door was open. He could have walked in at any time. And we just had to be as quiet as possible. So he, he ran back to open the classroom for you guys? Mm-hmm. So you could be safe, apparently? Mm-hmm. So when we ran in, yeah. He was about to was close the door. To to door. Lock. After they'd gotten back in, he was trying to lock the door to keep the students safe. And before he had a chance to close and lock the door, that's when he got shot. So a teacher was killed trying to lock the door so the students inside would be safe. Oh, man. So heroism, but heroism that ended in the, in the, the life of the hero lost in this circumstance. Look, it's, it's, a, it's a very... It's a very tough day for the country. There's no, uh, there's no words that we can say here that will that will change any of that. And uh, we're just giving you the details as they come out. AR-15, uh, multiple magazines, political debate has already uh, has already begun. I mean, I I almost hesitate to tell you what's what some of the stuff that's being said on on social media right now, just because it's always a bit of a shock how how hateful people can be after something like this happens. You would think that there's a, a, a normal, decent human impulse to just tone down the, the, the nasty rhetoric and the name-calling and all that stuff, but no, you get a lot of, a lot of people, including those with big platforms and, and large followings, who will be saying that this is the fault of uh, those who support the Second Amendment, this is the fault of gun owners, this is you know, any number of things. And that's that's not constructive at all, as we know. It's uh, it's reckless and it's irresponsible. And yeah. Uh, by the way, the gunman was. We have more information that the gunman was wearing a gas mask and may have had smoke bombs on him as well. So it seems now we have a gunman wearing a gas mask with an uh, AR-15, multiple magazines, and they believe he may have been carrying smoke bombs too. Uh, I would note that the the footage of the shooter when we saw him being taken into custody, the footage showed him uh, without any, it didn't seem like he had any tactical gear or anything on him. So he may, and this is just my analysis, this is not confirmed, it seems to me that he may have shed his gear and tried to, uh, and tried to escape 
on foot without the stuff, or maybe he was shot and uh, in exchange with with law enforcement, and then they, you know, he dropped his rifle. Then I I don't know, but it didn't seem like he was. I mean, in the photos, it didn't seem like he had a anything like a flak vest or a tactical vest on. Uh, certainly didn't see any smoke grenades attached to him. Looked like he was just wearing a t-shirt. So uh, we have this 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz who's in. He's in custody. He's alive. And here we are. Uh, we have had 18 school shootings so far this year. That's a number you're going to be hearing a lot. 18 school shootings and about 100 and 114. Is that right, Mike? From uh, starting 114 school shootings total since Sandy Hook in 2012. Well, 142. I'm sorry, 142. 142 shootings since Sandy Hook. So. You're averaging, let's see here, we've got since 2012, so six years, and in six years you've had 142 school shootings. So you know, you're, you're looking at a little over 20, a little over 20 a year, between 20 and 30 a year, let's say, let's call it. And you've had 18 so far this year. So this has been... A particularly bad year so far for school shootings. And we may have to get into a national discussion about whether there's a just this is a copycat effect at work that the the disaffected, the uh, the angry, the evil, those who, for whatever reason, have it's even tough to get in the psychology of this. I mean, how, how someone could ever be so, so angry, so hateful, so vengeful. Uh, so completely lacking in any consideration or or a thought for his fellow human beings, he'd go into a school and just start shooting a bunch of innocent people. It, it it really defies imagination. It's hard to think of how somebody gets to that point, and yet it is something that happens with some uh, some frequency now. Um, Anyway, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this, folks. I know we've had a lot of calls coming in and out throughout the show. Do you think that there's a? Do you think there's an? Do you think something has changed? Um, ha, has this gotten worse? Is this just our perception of it? Is it because of the reporting of it, or are we in the midst of a a school shooting wave that has gone from being a very unfortunate fact of of life in this country to being an epidemic? Uh, is there? A sense of additional urgency because of the scale of the emergency here and and the speed with which these incidents are happening. I, I don't have answers to those questions. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on it or, or just anything that you want to share with uh, with everybody listening about you know, what, what do we do now? What do we do? What are we to make of this? Uh, 844-900-2825 on the lines. 844-900-BUCK. I, I am going to tell you right now, I can't really, uh, you know, it just becomes emotionally and psychologically taxing to delve into this for the full three hours. So in the next hour, we're going to change up. We've got some guests joining. We're going to change up topics. If I have important breaking news, I'll share it with you. But uh, we will we'll move on to some other things in the third hour of the show. I just I don't think it's helpful or useful for us to go beyond the analysis that we have already uh, we've already been engaging in here for the third hour. Um, and again, lines lines are open. We'll be right back.
So no updates yet on any more uh, casualties from this uh, mass shooting in Parkland, Florida. The school shooting shooter is in custody, identified as Nicholas Cruz, and uh, wore a gas mask, had an AR-15, multiple magazines, pulled the alarm as he entered the building. He entered shooting. He had already shot people outside and then shot as many as he could inside. I'm wondering, you know, we, we don't yet know... Um, what exactly the circumstances were of his capture because he's in the hospital. Do we know if he was shot? Was he, we don't, he was not shot, right? We don't know. I mean, if he was taken to the hospital, I, I mean, he, oh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, well, so we don't know. He might've just been taken because he's being taken to the hospital to see, but he also may have been taken because he was shot. But see, if he was just taken there, he didn't seem like he was, uh, from the video, like he was bleeding out or anything. So that strikes me as, I think he shed all of his gear and thought he was going to get away with the rest of the students. And then they finally, some of the students knew who he was and they they gave a description and they finally got him. I mean, the cops got him. Um, but I, I want to know how the apprehension happened. We have really very little information right now about how they actually apprehended the uh, the mass shooter here. And, oh gosh, all these, this is one of these things. This is the... It's terrible just thinking about the the casualties, the families, what these kids went through. We have audio of the actual shooting kids screaming. Um, but then you also have all these you know, young people afterwards who are just, a lot of them are, are literally in shock. They are in a state of shock. And then they uh, come together and uh, start sharing stories. And people will be telling what their first-hand experiences were of this shooting. And you'll hear it and you'll see it. And, uh, I know there were kids who were in closets, tweet, uh, hiding in closets and hiding under desks who were sending messages to their parents during the shooting. Uh, it's uh, it's just terrifying. I don't I mean, I don't, you know, I can't imagine. Um, uh, here we are. And not a lot of. Not a lot of solutions, folks, not a lot of uh, takeaways from this that would be. I think that would be helpful or realistic in terms of stopping the next one. But let's see uh, what you all think. Felix in Pennsylvania. Felix, always good to talk to you, my friend. What do you think? Hey, Buck. You know, I'm 58 years old, okay? And as I reach back in my memory, I just do not recall there being these mass shootings years ago prior to Columbine. Whenever you had shootings, people usually had specific people that they were angry at. There's a period where there was post office shootings. And yeah, there was the expression a very, I mean, a very, you know, flippant and not particularly good when people would say you're going postal, right? Meaning that you were, had yeah. gone nuts. Yeah. But, you know, they usually went in and they had one, two or three people that they were angry at, you know, and they didn't just go in there and shoot everybody. Uh, these mass shootings, to me, for some reason, it just seems like it's been since, I would say, Columbine or something like that. Otherwise, prior, it was... It, you, rarely did you have the situation. There was that one in Texas, like in the 1960s, where that guy was in the tower. Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned that one. Yeah, University of Texas, 1966. Yeah, and there was really, I think, no reason for that one. But aside from that, generally speaking, shootings, you know, during that period of time, they, they were just angry people that, that were angry at somebody, in you know, and, and went after a specific target. This just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it seems like in these mass shooting situations... Oh my gosh! Is that what I? I'm sorry, Felix. I'm. Oh, okay. 
Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I thought I just saw a video flashing up on the screen when we were on air. Of, and I saw somebody enter a room. Uh, you know, this is on TV. I saw somebody enter a room, and it was footage from inside the school with an, with an AR. And I just for a second thought, oh, my God. But it was actually, you can kind of, it was law enforcement, thank God, entering the room to make sure the kids are okay. But for a second there, we had cell phone video of somebody entering a classroom with the AR. I mean, you could basically tell from the way the guy walked in that it's law enforcement. And then he gets closer, you can see. Anyway, sorry. I just had a I just had a, a moment there where I was I was watching this in real time. You're on the phone with me. I, you know, I, I the, the I numbers. Like well, another point. When when they talk about shootings in the United States versus other countries, you got to take into account how large the United States actually is and how big its population is. I'm sure it dwarfs West. You know, all the countries in Western Europe put together. You know, so. That's pretty nonsensical when they make those kind of comparisons. Yeah, well, you have to certainly account for population. One of the problems when you look at what the uh, what the New York Times when they've I, I've seen some New York Times compilations of of mass shootings and and looking at the data and that they won't uh, take population into effect and they'll say things like, well, you know, we don't have uh, th- this doesn't exist elsewhere and l- look, we have never had a mass shooting on the scale of the. Beslan school massacre, for example, which I know was a terrorist attack, but it was at a school. You know, when you when you look at violence in schools around the world, first of all, there have been student on student shootings uh, elsewhere, and there have also been horrific acts of violence, specifically targeting schools and school aged children. So it's not unique to us. And when politicians say that, it's not true. But I will say that there's a from from what I'm seeing on the statistics here, there is a surge in school shootings this year, which I I can't. I can't come up with even a, a working thesis right now for why that is, other than uh, there's a, a copycat effect now with social media. I think that these these vile malcontents uh, see this as a as a means of you know th- th- they'll kind of achieve some level of fame and they'll be able to uh, you know this this guy obviously he's not dead he didn't go down shooting in this one um, but I, Felix I don't know I I don't have a I don't have a good read on why things have gotten worse with mass shootings in, in recent months. You know, and, and also, too, it just it, it, this guy wasn't even supposed to be there. He was expelled from school. Uh, these things just, they, they make no sense, you know. And, like, when people talk about possibly, you know, teachers that can be trained and, you know, want to be armed, they should be. Back when I grew up, I mean, you know, they were, you were allowed to have guns on school property. This is another new thing, you know, and you're leaving people completely defenseless. Yeah, well, this is a gun-free zone. Yeah, and yet another. Yeah. These are all happening in quote gun-free zones. Uh, Felix, thanks for calling it from Pennsylvania, man. Always good to have you on board. Uh, this is a gun-free zone, and it's clearly not a gun-free zone for the bad guys, as we've discussed many times before. Um, it's just a gun-free zone for anybody who might want to either go hunting after school or defend themselves in school. Uh, and it's not it's not enough. I mean, when you when you look at the real logistics of the of the actual assault here. This guy has a, has a semi-automatic rifle, this guy, Nicholas Cruz, and he's just going, and he's just going for mass, ca- mass casualties. He's going to shoot as many people as possible. You, you're looking at casualty mitigation uh, in these cases. Even w- even if you had had every single teacher in the school armed, I don't think that you would have been able to stop this guy from killing anyone. Really? I'm just being realistic here. But, you may have had instead of the 17 dead that we see now, you know, you may have had three or four. And obviously that would mean that there are a whole lot more people that would be going home 
denied to their families um, than currently are. So, you know, you're looking at casualty mitigation, not elimination. So, because uh, I, I don't know what you're, I don't know how you're going to stop, you know, unless this guy was going to decide to take on armed security himself, first and foremost, right, to try to take out security personnel to leave the school even more defenseless. And I, I hate saying this, but there's a part of me that also thinks this guy is an AR, uh, multiple magazines. He's got a school of 3,000 students. Uh, we're, you know, it could have been it could have been worse, as terrible as this was. I mean, and it has been worse in the sense that there have been school shootings with higher casualty counts. So that that is that is uh, just a fact of history at this point. Folks, I'm just it's very troubling. I'm, I'm I feel um, I feel like analysis of the situation right now is just insufficient. It's uh, uh, not an, not enough answers. I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, research and looking at everything I can tonight to try to figure out if there's if there. I like to talk about solutions. I like to talk about making how we can make things better, how we can at least lower, if not eliminate the risk of these kinds of incidents. And uh, right now, I just feel a sense of uh, sadness and frustration. And uh, that's that's what I'm kind of overwhelmed by that right now. I'm going to take a, a a break from this, though. We're going to get into some other topics coming up in the third hour. I hope you're okay with that. We're going to move on to just some other news of the day and things on my mind, because I think we all need that. We'll be back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show. I told you we would uh, move on from the topic of the... We spent a couple of hours today already talking about the school shooting in Parkland, Florida, at the uh, Douglas High School there, and 17 killed. Uh, we, we will. Um, we're going to get into some other topics this hour. Um, an update from our friend Andy McCarthy on the situation of the dossier and the Democrat memo and all that Russia stuff. Also got Adam Crato joining from the Free Beacon to talk about, um, well, Iran positioning a whole lot of missiles in Syria pointed at Israel, as well as a story that may lead to Al Jazeera, that anti-American network paid for by the government of Qatar, uh, might have to register as a foreign agent tell you about that. And also some weird spying operation that they had going on in this country. Uh, Al Jazeera did. And then we'll get into some just of your, your thoughts here on on roll call. Just an update. I, I had said based on my uh, based on what I'd seen from the arrest videos of uh, Nicholas Cruz that it seemed to me that he likely had ditched his gear and had tried to get away as a uh, as a student, trying to pose as just another student fleeing the terror. And I saw that that has been, there are sources now confirming that to reporters that uh, that was in fact the case, that he he ditched his gun and his gear, whatever he had on him, his ga- he had a gas mask. I believe he had smoke grenades. He got rid of all that, went down to a T-shirt and you know probably jeans or whatever, and tried to just escape like the right propose as a fleeing student. And because other students, I assume, knew who he was, knew who the shooter was, law enforcement was able to uh, get him before he could get outside the cordon, the cordon they had set up. And so that's how they got him. Also means this guy really thought this thing through and, and was he was trying to get away. He was trying to get away. Um, 
Anyway, so uh, if you wouldn't mind, folks, I'm going to switch gears here for a second just because I, I kind of have to. Um, if there's anything else that breaks, I promise this hour, any other important news about this, this terrible event, I will bring it to your attention. Oh, okay. If you don't mind. Immigration. Let's talk about immigration for a few minutes. Let's uh, move to something else here. So you have the Senate in the, in the midst of trying to get a deal. Here's my short version of where I think all this is going. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to be an immigration deal because the Democrats only want a full-scale and total amnesty. They, they have no interest in anything that could prevent that. That's where changes to chain migration, changes to interior enforcement, changes to any existing either enforcement priorities or immigration, structural immigration issues are just going to be completely unacceptable to the Democrat Party. They're going to say no way because they want 11 million legalized that are currently illegal. Um, Paul Ryan is trying to sound hopeful on this issue. Here's what here's what he had to say. We have a problem that needs solving. We want to solve DACA, but we also want to solve DACA in a comprehensive way such that we don't have a DACA problem in five years. The president did a very good job of putting a very sincere offer on the table. And that sincere offer that he put on the table should be the framework through which we we come together to find a solution. We want to find a solution. Our hope that our Democratic colleagues are more interested in finding a solution than preserving an issue for campaigns. I I don't think... Uh, that that's going to be the case. I do not think that we will have um, Democrats trying to seriously find a way to... uh, I I do not think the Democrats will have, in in, in any way, shape, or form, a a serious deal that comes out of this. Um, They they don't want a deal. They don't want a deal. And, And Tom Cotton chimed in today, Senator Cotton, to let everyone know that Trump is... This is as good as they're going to get for the, I mean, on the Democrat side of it, in terms of an offer from the Republicans, this is it, folks. The president's framework bill is not an opening bid for negotiations. It's a best and final offer. It's going to encourage more illegal immigration. We know that. So we have to secure our southern border. Our bill provides the money and the legal authority to do so. And it would create a whole new pool of legal immigrants who could legalize their families to include the parents who created the problem in the first place. That's why we have to end the practice of extended family chain migration. That's right. You got to end chain migration. You see, that's a long term immigration issue. There's a lot. It's because that's immigration policy. That's not even that's not about illegal. That's about legal immigration. That is shifting the framework of who we bring into this country and who gets to stay and, and what the grounds are for permanent residency and even citizenship in this country. And Democrats don't want to change that at all. They have a system that works for them right now, which is illegals get to stay. Illegals are increasingly important political constituencies in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles. Um, They are really they really determine politics in those places because you can't go against the illegal community or you will no longer be an elected official. And then on the immigrate on the legal immigration side of the equation, you have uh, a large proportion of people who come into the country from uh, poor developing countries and they bring family members with them. And it just creates constituencies of voters for the Democrat Party that are 
going to be multi-generational and stretching far into the future and have a tremendous impact, right? The, the Democrat Party is dedicated, and it's a decades-long project, to the demographic change of this country in favor of statism and the ideological left. That's the plan. That's the goal. So what I think Trump's opening offer here shows, as much as originally I was a little concerned because I thought it was too too favorable to the other side based on his promises during the campaign, what this shows is that that is, in fact, the Democrat plan because they won't move on this. There won't be any part of this that is, in fact, uh, acceptable to them. They will walk away. They'll use it as a midterm issue, and they'll continue on as is. That's my prediction on this. There will be no deal on immigration, despite Republicans being uh, fair-minded and operating in good faith on it. All right, we're going to have Andy McCarthy joining us here in just a moment. You're going to want to hear what he has to say about surveillance and FISA abuse. And if there are any additions, uh, any breaking news on this school shooting, I promise we'll bring that to you as well. Stay with me. All right, everyone. So there's still a whole lot of unanswered questions, as we know, and it's going to be that's going to be true, I think, for months, if not years to come about what's going on with the whole Russia collusion narrative, the FISA abuse allegations, all of that. And uh, we have some some new developments, though, that I wanted to work through with our friend and uh, expert on these matters, Andy McCarthy. He is, of course, of National Review, and he's a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Andy, great to have you on. Buck, great to be with you. All right, so I, I know you've been you've been addressing this for a few days now. I just want you to to explain to everybody because I think this is a critical point. There was a lot of oh, Carter Page wa- wasn't part of the Trump campaign when the surveillance was going on, at least from what we know of, or they started it before he was Trump. Or and and what you've been telling folks is, and I think this is really important for everyone to hear. Once you once you get somebody up, once once you've got them mic'd up, so to speak, you get access to a whole lot of stuff, current, future, and past. Right. If they have, uh, if you're up on somebody's communications devices, you get all the forward-going stuff, of course. But if the person has stored email or stored texts, you get those as well. So I, I, I might operating theory on this and and we have to have these uh, i guess guys like you and me buck because we don't have the current information but we do we've got been around the block enough times to kind of know how these things work and what these guys were probably thinking i believe that they thought the mother load with respect to carter page was not going to be as forward going uh communications although i think they were very interested in those as well I think they were hoping to get communications that he had while he was with the Trump campaign. So the the sequence of events is they go up on we said go up on they begin their surveillance on his communications devices, whichever they were, uh, in October. It was uh, I think October 21st of 2016. Uh, he had parted ways, or the campaign, the Trump campaign had parted ways with him. In mid-September, after these press stories came out about the Steele dossier, which talked about him in the context of his uh, of his trip to Russia, the Trump campaign decided he was a hot number at that point. He was never that important to them anyway, so they kind of formally cut ties with him. 
But what I think the investigators were hoping was when they got up on his phones and his uh, his email and text and whatever else in October that he would have stored email and texts and they would get the Trump-Russia communications to the extent there were any. And I think that probably turned out to be a dry hole, but I, I, I imagine that's what they were thinking. How, how believable do you find it, Andy, at this point? Um, and for everyone listening, in case you don't know, Andy was a federal prosecutor for over 20 years, so he's, he's, he's got a sense about these things. How believable is it at this point that there's like actually, apart from the dossier, really solid information on Carter Page that would justify the kind of surveillance that they were doing outside of in the, well, I mean, counterintelligence is a lower standard, but... Do you think that they were were they playing games with this? I mean, do you, or do you think there really was information that would be damning? Because I just feel like if Carter Page was really up to shady stuff, Andy, how come no one's even whispered? We haven't even had a leak of a theory of a criminal charge against Carter Page. Yeah, not only that, but he's he's suing people for libel. So, you know, if there's something out there about him, he's certainly inviting it to be disclosed. Since you know, tr- truth would be a defense. Uh, to any of his libel claims. So I think you're quite right. Uh, You know, I've I've tried to point out to people, Buck, that when you're dealing with an American citizen or what they call in the federal law uh, a U.S. person, which is citizens and lawful permanent residents, green card holders, but when you're dealing with somebody in that status, FISA has a more demanding test for surveillance. You have to show not only that the guy is engaged in clandestine activities uh, from which it's uh, fair to conclude that he's acting as an agent for a foreign power. You also have to show that those clandestine activities undertaken on behalf of that foreign power are probably violations of federal criminal law. So it's not enough to just say he was furthering Russia's uh, agenda. You have to show that he was doing something that was uh, in violation of federal law. Now, you always have to caution that the FBI knows a lot more than I do, and the intelligence community generally knows a lot more than I do. But, but that said, um, the, the stuff that's in the Steele dossier lays out some potential prosecutable crimes. I'm not aware of anything else with respect to Carter Page that does. That's not to say it's not out there. They could know more than we do. But, but that certainly seems to me like it's the likely source of it. I mean, wouldn't it be incumbent then, Andy, on the FBI to try to find a way to get some of that information out there? I mean, there's it just feels like they're playing this big, big game of hide the ball now from the American people. And as you know, national security information, classified information, it's always a balancing act, right? It's not just, oh, it's classified, so we're going to just keep it under lock and key forever. In fact, a lot of information over time is, by law, declassified. That's the way it's supposed to go. So the public has a right to know in time, just can't know right away. To me, it seems like if the FBI's got more on this guy, we need definitive proof that they did, because otherwise, this whole thing just, it really does look like a sham. Yeah, well, I don't, I, I, a little bit um i'm willing to cut them a little more slack than that buck but not much uh so here's here's what i think happened here i believe that they believed steel um and if you if you i i think it's very hard in 
2018 to put yourself in the shoes of what everybody was thinking in the autumn of 2016. But if you believed Steele um, and you saw what he was alleging, that would be very, very alarming. If, he, if even half of that was true, it would be very alarming. And I think Steele came to them with credibility because he had cooperated with them or helped them on the FIFA soccer investigation, and they thought well of him. So they overlooked the fact that they couldn't corroborate his sources, which to me is the biggest uh, default in this whole uh, escapade. Because I mean, I'm less, as bad as the issues with respect to Steele's biases are, I'm less concerned about that than I am about the fact that his sources are anonymous Russians who were three and four uh, hearsay levels removed from the events that they supposedly saw that the judge was asked to rely on for probable cause. So I think that's the bigger problem. But I think what happened here is they believed Steele. And in some ways, Buck, you know, you know, with counterintelligence, I think these guys think they're playing with the house money in the sense that when everybody, when, when prosecutors and investigators are in a, doing a criminal case, if they go to get a warrant, even though it's just them and the judge when they go to get the warrant, everybody knows that everything's eventually going to be disclosed. It's all going to be handed over to the defense lawyers and the defendant, and the court's going to pick over it. So that keeps you on your good behavior because you know down the road someone's going to be checking your work. And I think here they, they're operating under the cloak of counterintelligence where everything's top secret, and they believed Hillary was going to win. So I think that that makes you sloppy. I think that you know they were – I'm going to cut them some slack that they were legitimately alarmed because they thought Steele was a credible guy, that at least some of what he was telling them was true. But they were operating around the edges. They they were getting a little creative. Yep. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Andy, just one more for you on the on the Democrat memo. I, I don't really understand the, the process. I mean, I, I know about how classified information works and I know about how the executive branch processes work, but I don't. So, so the Congress, you got the House committee voted to send this Democrat memo through. But now the FBI and the White House have sent it back and said there's too much classified in it. So and now the Democrats are saying that they won't release it or what do you what's going on here as far as you see it? It seems to me like there's obviously games being played here. Yeah, I think there are. But. This is one of these issues, Buck, where it's more of a legal, I mean, a political thing than a legal thing. So there's this congressional process in the House, the Senate doesn't have this, where the committee can vote to declassify something. And then in their rules, it gives the president five days to weigh in. Now, when the president says, I object, that doesn't have the force of law because Congress has full immunity under the speech and debate clause. If they want to, if they want to, express something that's classified, uh, they can do it and they can't be prosecuted for it. But of course, no Congress person is going to want to do something that looks like it's damaging to the country or, or looks like they're exposing classified information for no other reason. So it's kind of a game of chicken. I think what happened here is that the, the Democrats laced their letter with a lot of methods and sources stuff, knowing that that would be objected to. And then they were hoping that from the objection uh, they'd be able to say that their memo was being suppressed by Trump. Right, but did, did uh, the Republicans they, in the House, did the Republicans in this House committee, Annie, say it was okay? They must have, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't have made it out of the committee. Yeah, because uh, yeah, basically they said, we're not falling into the trap here. 
Ah, uh, okay. Said, sure, fine, put it out. And then they put it on the president and the FBI and the Justice Department to object to it. Now that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So the, it was kind of a poison pill situation, which I had assumed was the case. Yep. Yep. Do you think it's going to come out? Uh, not in the form that uh, they, the Democrats want to put it out in. But, you know, as the Republicans of the committee, including Nunes, say, uh, they sure hope it comes out because they think it'll show what, what complete nonsense it is, that it doesn't really have anything to do with the main issue, which is did they use the dossier to get a warrant and did they corroborate it? And on those issues, I don't think the Democrats are going to help themselves much with this letter. Annie, what's your next piece going to be? Where can folks go to find it? Well, I'm working on uh, something with respect to Susan Rice's uh, mysterious email that we learned about the last couple of days, and um, that'll be up tomorrow at National Review. At NationalReview.com, everybody. Andy, just real quick on it. Do you think it's shady? Because I think it's shady. It's real shady. (laughs) Yes, Andy agrees. It's shady. Now I feel, I've been saying all week, you don't write yourself by the book twice in an email your last day on the job unless there's been some not by the book stuff. So I feel very confident now that you're on the same same train as I am on that one. Andy McCarthy, everybody, the one and only. Follow him on Twitter. Check out his stuff uh, on nationalreview.com. Andy, thank you so much for making the time. All right, team, we're going to roll into a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, team, I wanted to flag a story for you that uh, has got some really interesting dynamics at work. It's by Adam Crado, who is a senior writer over at the Washington Free Beacon. Here's the headline. Cutterback spy operation on U.S. Jews puts Al Jazeera in congressional crosshairs. Quite a title and quite a story. We have the author with us right now, Mr. Adam Crado. Good to have you back, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, buddy. All right. I mean, you got you got to tell us, work us through some of the details, and then we'll get into the implications. But what is going on here? This is quite a this is quite a tale. It really is quite a tale, and it's um one of these uh, truth is stranger than fiction type tales. Uh, we have Al Jazeera, which of course everybody knows is a state funded news organization, the Qatari government. Uh, funds Al Jazeera and necessarily Al Jazeera toes their line. And one of their pet projects for quite some time has been uh, anti-Israel documentaries. So what Al Jazeera did very quietly um, about last year, and we're just kind of finding out the details now, is that they hired a mole or two and sent them into Washington, D.C. to essentially infiltrate pro-Israel organizations and uh, try to find pro-Israel officials, supporters in compromising positions. Now, look, really what they found is not all that shocking that pro-Israel people want to stop boycotts of Israel. They want to uh, combat anti-Semitism, but it seems that what they've done here that, you know, when you record somebody through a peephole camera, everything starts to look kind of sexy. And Al Jazeera has begun sending letters now to a lot of these organizations telling them, well, we've got you on videotape. We need you to respond uh, to these allegations that there is Jewish influence in the U.S. government, that uh, pro-Israel Jews in America are working on behalf of the Israeli government um, to stop boycotts of Israel, along these kinds of lines. And What we're seeing now is that this is tantamount to Qatar, a foreign government running a spy operation on American soil targeting U.S. Jews. Let's not lie. That's what this is. This is not a news outlet doing an investigation. 
this is a propaganda network. This is a state-run network operating at the instruction of the government. So this is actually causing quite a bit of trouble for uh, Al Jazeera now that there is a push in Congress to get Al Jazeera to register as a foreign agent, which is what it is under FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And this would really put them in line with... Our RT is now under FARA, right? In the last 12 months, exactly I believe that's... Exactly what I was going to say. Exactly what I was going to say. Uh, RT, the Russian... Uh, funded propaganda network is forced recently to register under FARA. The Chicom newspapers, the communist propaganda registers as such. There's no reason that Al Jazeera should not be put in the same category, especially after they're spying on uh, American Jews. This is astonishing. We're talking to Adam Credo of the Washington really Free Beacon about this. It seems to me that the the most likely way they would have approached this, Adam, is that these Al Jazeera journalists. So under the the cloak of being investigative journalists are effectively doing oppo research and spying on American Jews, right? That's that that would be how precisely. I that's how they've presented this, right? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. I mean, last year I caught wind of it actually uh, kind of when it was taking place and others just because I tend to circulate and report on these communities, but apparently there was at least one mall that was all around town secretly recording people uh infiltrating under false aliases and names into pro-Israel organizations, and um, it looks like they entangled quite a few people. And my my gut instinct um, is I suspect they don't have that much. I mean, they can spin this. It's a, you know, conspiracies with Jews and government are always kind of sexy for the anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists, but uh, my, my gut tells me they probably don't have much and that they've really stepped in it here because they've exposed themselves as operating on behalf of the anti-Semitic Qatar government, which, as you know, uh, funds Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas Front, uh, exporter of terror financing, all these types of things. You also have the main story up right now on the Washington Free Beacon website. Iran-backed terror group claims half a million missiles aimed at Israel. I was updating folks yesterday on the drone that was shot down over Israeli airspace and also just the general situation of Syria right now, which is is a mess despite the losses ISIS has sustained. Uh, what's going on with uh, with Hezbollah? What's going on with Iran and the half a million missiles? Yeah, you know, I, I try to tell um, people quite often whenever I get really the chance and they ask me for my take on national security and foreign policy and these types of things. I think this is really the biggest untold story in the Middle East right now that, as uh, one person put it to me, under the cloud of uh, war, under the fog of war that's going on in Syria and Yemen, all these other places, Iran has really been able to secretly and uh, covertly uh, move advanced missiles into the region. They've got weapons workshops on the border with Israel in uh, Hamas-controlled territory. And on the northern border, where Hezbollah operates between Syria and Lebanon, they've uh, been able to stockpile at least 70,000 new missiles. This is on top of about 150,000 others. And they say within the next year, they'll be able to amass uh, about half a million advanced missiles on Israel's border. And this is really part of an Iranian strategy of bombardment, that um, if they are to get in any sort of direct conflict with Israel, they can blow the whistle and their terror proxy groups like Hezbollah and others will come in and barrage Israel. It's a frightening situation. I'm really not sure what the Israeli government does. Um, I, I, I would advocate preemptive bombing here to destroy these caches, but that, that itself could spark its own war. I have to say, I was somewhat surprised that 
Israeli airstrikes inside Syria targeting both Syrian and Iranian. And people don't understand that they're actually Iranian installations now in Syria. It's not just like a, a handful of Iranians who are providing assistance no, no, or, no. you know, there's there's a, a, that, that Syria effectively has become an Iranian launch pad or an Iranian Correct. forward operating base uh, for operations against Israel got very little attention from much of the media. I mean, they're shooting down what they believe could be a an Iranian knockoff of the stealth drone, the Sentinel drone. That's what the IDF was reporting, that the U.S. Yeah. lost to Iran back in 2011. The Iranians are flying that in Israeli airspace. They have to shoot it down, I think, with an Apache helicopter. Three attempts to shoot it down originally failed, and barely a peep about it here in the media. Adam, what's going on? Look, it's surprising. It's easy to ignore these stories. They're not always convenient stories about, um, at least from a foreign policy angle, Russia's involvement in Syria, much sexier given the domestic coverage here in the United States. But I've actually been warning about this for quite some time that the real untold story is what's happening on Israel's northern border with um, Hezbollah, the the former uh, recently resigned prime minister from Lebanon, when he was leaving and fleeing to Saudi Arabia, said, I can't run this country. It's completely controlled by Hezbollah and Iranian agents. It's impossible. Yet, um, the Trump administration, actually quite shockingly and disappointingly, continues to provide arms to the Lebanese armed forces, which really is just uh, de facto Hezbollah. So there's a very complicated and simmering situation that is only getting worse on Israel's northern border. And I really see no other way for uh, this to end except in war, unless uh, the Trump administration and certainly Israelis uh, take some steps now, literally now. They should have done it months and months, if not years ago, but steps immediately to kind of mitigate it. Adam Credo is a senior writer at the Washington Free Beacon. You can read his latest on national security and everything else they're covering over there at freebeacon.com. Adam, uh, some really great reporting. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Always my pleasure. All right, team, we are going to roll into a break here. When I come back, we will get into a bit of uh, maybe some roll call, some Valentine's talk. We've got a been, a been a heavy day, and I think we can take a, a, a breather here at the end to think about some more pleasant and uh, happier times. So we'll be back in just a few. Well, team, that's going to be it today in the Freedom Hunt. Going to be closing out the show here in just a couple of minutes. First, uh, you know... I sent Miss Molly some flowers in her office today, and I just want to say, uh, you know, I hope all of you have a a good Valentine's Day. Uh, it's been a very it's been a very tough day in the news cycle, tough day for the country, but you still need to go home and uh, kiss and hug your loved ones, and you know, have your own private or you know your own version of a of a Valentine's Day. If in fact you even in general think that Valentine's Day is something that we should all give into i i sit here and i'm like you know why is it that we have to send chocolates and flowers and all this stuff it strikes me as a little bit more commercial uh commercial than i would like to commit to right it's but you know that again same thing with with ring buying from what i understand you you gotta learn about the four c's and you gotta Oh, don't worry. She doesn't listen to the radio show, so she's not going to get tipped off with anything. I, I'm just, you know, Valentine's Day, it's fine. All right, look, if you're just sending flowers, it's fine. I, I get it. Um, no one really, 
spends uh, much time commemorating the martyrdom of St. Valentine. Uh, he, he was a Roman priest who was beheaded in the uh, 3rd century. Um, but there's a lot of back and forth on what the, the true history of St. Valentine is. Uh, today is also uh, Ash Wednesday, as you know. So there's just a, there's a, lot, a lot going on on the calendar. So uh, I thought I would just get into a bit of I, a bit of roll call because let's do that. So we got roll call. Oh no! Whoa! Hey, cry chop. We'll take that. There we go. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. So let's get it going. So first we've got TJ who writes in. He sent me a stand with Rand. From Randpack.com, Rand Paul this is about, and he said, did Rand ask your permission to use this? Well, TJ, Rand did not, but I give full permission. But I think stand with Rand is uh, obvious enough that I, I can't pretend to, uh, to copyright that one. Greg has one for me next on the roll call here. But question for you and maybe discussion on your show sometime. Do your viewers think if Trump were not elected, but someone like Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or whoever were elected president, that we would have the economy going like we do now. Or even better, do they think we'd be seeing the uncovering of the corruption and the takedown of the deep state like we are witnessing? Thanks from Greg. You know, Greg, it's a very interesting question, and it's one for which there can't be a definitive answer, right? We know that there's there's nothing that we can do to prove what did not... We, we, we can't prove a... Historical negative, we can't prove what would have been had another Republican been able to defeat Hillary Clinton. I will say this, tax cuts, such as they have been pushed forward by the GOP thus far, that's pretty mainstream, pretty standard GOP stuff. That's not, that's not really anything that's uh, shaking, things, shaking things up too much, you know. It's not really changing things up from what we would expect from the GOP, I think the tax cuts are pretty much right in the center of the Republican Party's mantra. So you, you got that. As we, whether we, there be other things going on, I don't know. You know whether other things necessarily would uh, be different, better, the same. Tough to say. I, I mean, you certainly wouldn't have the media operating like it does right now. So, yeah, I, I just I think that the the part of this that's definitely different is the way that Trump has exposed the the media and, and the the true depth. Look, we know, we've known that the media is biased for a very long time now. I grew up in an environment where because of the Internet and talk radio, there was finally a, a counterpunch and there was a counter argument that was out there and fo- the rise of Fox News to become the number one cable network. Uh, but. You know, you knew the media was Democrat, was left. You didn't know that they were hysterical about it. You didn't know that they were unable to keep their grip on reality when you would have a new kind of president and new presidency where their power no longer was what they thought it was. Uh, So that's something that I think is very, very different about the Trump administration from what you would have seen in any other administration and then we could also we could continue. This could be an all night discussion. How is Trump different from how other presidents would have been? Uh, name name something. Really, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that is different about Trump. But uh, I'm one of the first. Well, 
I'm not the first to to say this, but I'm I'm free in in admitting that he has exceeded my expectations so far, and I'm thinking he's doing a really really good job. And I'm, I just also do love what so many others saw early on, and uh, that is that Trump was going to be the greatest irritant to the American left, certainly since Reagan. I mean, I don't, no, nothing bothers them as much as Trump, and that's. That's worth a lot. There's there's a, a currency to that. There's value to that. All right. Uh, next one, we have Bob who writes, It's been a while since I saw a movie in theater. I saw one on Tuesday, 12 Strong, highly recommend for Team Buck, Shields High. Well, thank you, Bob. I, I want to see 12 Strong, too. I tend not to say that I'm going to see something in the theater because it's usually... It's not that I am intentionally lying about it, but I find myself saying, eh, I'll wait till it's on demand. Eh, I'll wait till I can buy it and watch it at home. My couch is very large. It's very comfortable. Not, not, not much to look at, but man, I mean, it could, it could comfortably sleep too, maybe three. I mean, the couch is just a sanctuary. I've got a big flat screen on the wall, and it's just, there's no movie theater that can compare. I just, I don't know what else to say. I, I wish. I wish I was somebody that still got excited about like standing in a ticket line and paying eight dollars for a bunch of uh, popcorn. And nope, I'm a I'm a watch it at home guy now. And and increasingly, I really I some people I know watch cable so that they have uh, sports, live sports. That's the big advantage. For, or that's the big draw for them. I basically watch now on demand stuff, and then I watch news for uh, on the cable. That's it. I don't. I don't really watch cable TV. Other than that, so you know, my my habits have been changing with this over time. I remember going to the movies. My brothers, my dad, my mom. You know, my sister. Back in the day, we'd all we'd all go see movies as a family. Now, I think if the six of us, we're all adults now, but if the six of us tried to go see a movie in New York City, I'm just realizing this is crazy. I think about it. It would cost a hundred bucks. It would cost a hundred dollars for us to see a movie in New York. Tickets for movies here are like seventeen or eighteen dollars. And there's six of us. And then, you know, you add a little popcorn and some soda and you're at a hundred dollars to see a movie. That is just when you can own it or, or you can download it and watch it at home for like seven, usually maybe 10, something like that. So, but I will see the, the, the 12 strong. Cause that's a very important story. I want to check it out. Amy next, uh, next one up here on, I keep wanting to say team buck speaks on roll call. Hey, Buck, Shields High, question. Remember when the Obama administration surveilled reporters like Rosen and his parents? Whatever happened with this? How does this tie into surveillance of Trump and the Trump campaign? How rampant was this surveillance abuse? What does it say about corruption in the FBI? Well, Amy, it's uh, it's kind of complicated. It's very different. It wasn't a FISA warrant with Rosen. It was just a typical criminal warrant. What they did was they they broke an unspoken agreement with the media that they won't use criminal proceedings against journalists to find the leakers. The Obama administration said, you know what, we're going to find the leaker and we're going to do that by uh, going after journalists records. And I I know that's what they did with the Associated Press. And I I believe that's what they did with Rosen as well, although I'd have to familiarize myself with that case again. That's going to be it for today in the hut, my friends. Uh, Please do check out BuckSexton.com. Also follow me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BuckSexton. I post there throughout the day. It's also where you can write me messages. Until next time, my friends, Shields High.